Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. Theology Gals is a podcast for women, by women, and we're on the Bible Thumping Wingnut Network with a bunch of other great podcasts. And I'm Colleen Sharp, and I've got my co-host, Ashley Glassick, with me. Hey, Ashley, can you want to tell them about our great bumper music? Yeah, if you like um, our intro music, be sure to check out Castle Pines. Um, they're a band from Colleen and I's hometown. Uh, we're big fans of them, and we're excited that they decided to let us use their music on our podcast. Uh, you can find them on SoundCloud and Spotify. They're called Castle Pines. Yeah, I've enjoyed listening to them, and we're just so grateful that they have pretty much let us use any of their music for our podcast. Um, so it's kind of been um, an interesting week because the movie The Shack is coming out, Ashley. I don't know if you've seen yeah. some of the posts, but mm -hmm. it's really causing a lot of stir in Christian circles because it's being marketed to Christians. and But then a lot of Christians who are discerning know that it is based in heresy. Yeah. Um, so we I actually... I actually read the book many, many years ago when it came out. I think I read it. Uh, I, I wasn't a Christian. Um, so I read it. I actually didn't find it to be a very good book, so I didn't finish it. Um, but I mean, at the time I had no issues with it cause I wasn't, you know, a believer, but what, what are some issues you see with, with the book? You, um, well, I have not done a ton of research but on it myself, but I know that its portrayal of the Trinity and um, is problematic along with some other things. I know when it when it first came out, uh, someone at my husband's work asked him to read it. It was before there was really a lot. I mean, there was maybe a little bit of information out there that this is not a great book. I mean, it was brand new. My yeah. husband read it and was kind of talking to me saying, yeah, there's some stuff in here that is definitely problematic theologically. And I know that, so one thing that I did though, cause I, I have not had time to do a lot of research on it, but others really have. And I know, um, Chris Rosebro over at pirate Christian radio has something that William Young, the author, outright denies penal substitutionary atonement. And there's just, there's uh, so many articles. There's even a documentary by someone in our circles. Tim Challies did a pretty extensive review of the book and then has done another article about why he will not be seeing and reviewing the movie. And there's, Amy Spreeman has um, done some stuff on it over at, at Berean. And so what I did is I put together, because we were getting post after post in the group, you know, asking, hey, can I get information on, on this movie? And because a lot of my Christian friends are watching it and talking or planning on seeing it. And they love the book. And I just really need some information to point them to why it is not consistent with scripture. So I right. did put together kind of a, a resource guide. I just took, cause I haven't had time to do a lot of the research, um, but I've seen the articles around and, and these are from people who I do trust 
So I put that together and it's on our page and in our group. But I haven't really seen a lot of my own personal friends posting, but I know other girls have said that they've gotten into discussions and not always so great about about the movie because people are so excited about seeing it. Christians, that is. Christians, that is. So Right. And I, I've seen people say, what's the big deal? Because it's fiction, you know, that the person didn't, the person didn't write the book because they were trying to make a true portrayal of God or whatever. It's just fiction. Right. Like, well, even if it's fiction, it's still really problematic. I mean, I think yeah. the, biggest, the biggest issue with it is how it portrays the, the Trinity. Um, right. And I, I think even if you're writing fiction, if you're, portraying God wrongly, that's still concerning. Yeah. It's not yeah. not something we can just dismiss because it's fiction. Right. And I know some people have said, you know, it's blasphemous. And you're right. Even if it is fiction, it is still based on this idea of God and a wrong idea of God, an idea of God that is not consistent with scripture. So, um, yeah, if you're if you are looking for some information about it, if you weren't if you're out there and listening to us, you weren't aware that there was anything wrong with it, or you've been talking to friends and family about it. Um, we did. I put together a a list of links. I, Albert Muller is another one who wrote a good article about it, and I think his article really focused on the lack of discernment that he is seeing among Christians, and them fleeing to this book in the movie is is just one more example of that. There really is, you know, such a lack of discernment. Um, anything else exciting going on this week? Um, let's see. I don't think any we got more rain here in southern california which i'm always grateful for rain we've been in a drought forever and um it also gets rid of the nice uh thick smog layer that we right. see up on the mountains so my husband and i were laughing we're like oh we can see the mountains again it's so exciting because the rain got rid of all the smog uh, that's probably the most exciting thing that's happened. Uh, well, I saw I saw online there was actually a couple sinkholes that happened yeah. because you guys got so much rain at once, and there was one video in particular where this whole fire truck was went down yeah. in a sinkhole. Right, I heard Crazy. about that. And another car, I think in San Bernardino. Yeah, maybe? a car. Yeah, I think it was San Bernardino. Yeah. And you, you know, you you see these videos. You're like, California, like what? <laughs> What's right. going on here? Uh, so it was right. actually pretty bad weather. You know. Yeah, we've had <laughs> such, we've had such a mild. We've had such a mild winter this year, which I'm I'm disappointed. I love snow. I love snowstorms, and I'm still waiting on on having one. Now in Colorado, March tends to be our snowiest month, so we there's still hope. <laughs> But I think we've had in the fall just, you know, we've had a few inches a couple times. And other than that, and we we need the water also. There, Although the mountains are covered, we do get a lot of our water. But we've had a lot of drought here. Not compared to what you guys have had, but... Yeah. But we've had quite a bit here. So, And I just I just love the snow. You know, growing up in California, didn't see it a lot. And right. I just, I just enjoy it. My kids enjoy I, it. Yeah, I actually lived in, I've lived in Virginia, and I've lived in New Mexico. And so when I was a kid, I got to see a lot of snow, 
and have snow days and all that fun stuff. And then we moved to California. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, I was kind of like, oh, man, we don't have snow days in California, you know. We had a day um, a few weeks ago where the rain was so bad that school actually got canceled because in the area where I teach, uh, the streets aren't very good and the streets were flooded. Like it, like students couldn't get to the school. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's like a snow day in California. Like <laughs> the best we're going to get here. So that was yeah, fun. I love, I love snow days. I just, I, I love them because then the kids are home and yeah, that's um, everyone's just home. Well, if my husband is home, then I love them even more. Um, so, but that's fun. Yeah. Cause that's one thing I think growing up, people that have grown up with snow days, how fun that is, you know, just being able to have a day off school that you didn't expect. Yeah. Um, and as a teacher getting the call that you don't have to go to work, that's, that's pretty fun. It might be more fun than being a kid. <laughs> that's true. It's even, like, oh, snow days are more kid. fun as an adult. Yeah. So, um, so, well, we have a topic um, that we're going to discuss today that is a topic that keeps coming up in our group where people, we have a lot of ladies that have been joining the group. We've really been growing and we occasionally get a lady who, you know, comes in, she's reading through stuff and then comes in posts and says, what's reformed, you know? And then, and I think also from among those that are Calvinistic are reformed that, um, there's sometimes debates on what it means to be reformed. I think things have changed a lot in recent years. So today we're going to talk about kind of the history of what reformed is and some evolution in the way it's, it's used and understood in some circles and, and just some things that have happened even in recent years. And I think that there's kind of still an evolution going on. In fact, you and I both had listened to Les from the Reformed Pubcast when he was on R. Scott yeah. Clark's show. And he was surprised. He talked about being surprised. Maybe you can tell that, what he had said. Yeah. I And I actually think, listen, I, so I listen, if you guys don't know who Les Lanfear is, he's one of the hosts of the Reformed Pubcast. And I actually kind of relate to his description of kind of what he's been through where he called himself reformed, you know, before he really understood what the term reform means. And he kind of talked about how um, a lot of people nowadays are using the term reformed instead of using maybe the term Calvinist that might be more accurate uh, because that, that word's kind of become like a buzzword. It's kind of like a, a label people want to have is reformed, but there's kind of a misconception as to what reformed actually means. And we don't want to like split hairs. We don't want to be unkind to anyone, but we do think we should define what words mean and make sure we're using them correctly. Um, Right. So I don't know if you want to start with maybe Colleen talking about historically what reform means, and then we can talk about what's kind of happened with the word today and how it's changed. I think that's, yeah, I think that's a good idea. And, and one thing also that I want to say is I think probably most of us of Christ, as Christians, if we have a label, 
like Calvinist or Reformed or that sort of thing, we probably run into someone who says, I'm just a Christian. I'm not a Calvinist. I'm not an Arminian. I'm just a Christian. But the thing is, is labels can be helpful. You know, right. they are they are helpful. I, w- I wish that the labels weren't necessary either, but they are they are necessary because of some of the differences. And um, so when we use a label, we're if especially when we use it on ourselves, we we are saying something about ourselves. So when I say I am reformed, I am saying something very specific. Um, and and last week we talked about confessions, and we talked about how if a church like if a church subscribes to the Westminster Confession, for example, we can look at that church and go, oh, I know what they believe. I know what that church is about. And so it's the same with this term. If someone's using the term, hey, I'm reformed, you can say, oh, okay, I know know where you're at. I know what you believe. Um, But if they're using it incorrectly, it gets a little confusing. That's exact. That's exactly. That's exactly the case, and it has become very, very confusing um, because the label. It, it's been in very recent years that it's used more, more broadly. But let's talk first about how it was used historically, and then we can kind of get to that. But historically, you know, from the time of the Reformation and on, Reformed really said, "I hold to a specific theology," as outlined as confessed in a specific confession. And today, you know, that would be, we talked about that last week, the Westminster Standards um, or the Three Forms of Unity. So the Westminster Standard standard is the shorter and larger catechism and the, and the confession. And then the Three Forms of Unity are the Heidelberg Catechism, Belgic Confession, and Canons of Dort. And then we will get to Reformed Baptists. So you Reformed Baptists who are getting all nervous out there, we're going to get to, we are going to talk about that too. We're going to talk about Reformed Baptist, but we're specifically talking right now Reformed and Presbyterian. Um, and so really Reformed, if you just wanted to do a very simple, simple, simple definition, it had to do with holding to the Reformed Confessions. And and that that includes several things, and you know, just a quick list. I mean, obviously, it includes includes holding to the five solas, but holding to the five solas alone does not make one reformed. Lutherans hold to the five solas. Um, it includes uh, Calvinism or the doctrines of grace. It includes covenant theology, and the regulative principle of worship, and obviously being confessional. So that was, that was really historically what reformed was. And from the things that I've found reading now in regards to reformed Baptist, they, they were not reformed Baptists until I think it was the 1950s from the stuff that I was reading that, that kind of became a, but they were particular Baptists. And so I think it was around the 1950s that the term reformed Baptist started um, to be used a little bit more. Um, do you have anything to add to any of that, Ashley, what I've said so far about the history? Um, no, I think, I think you covered it pretty well. I, I do think, uh, when we say confessional, that's, I mean, that's a big thing to say confessional cause there's a lot in the confessions. Right. Um, I know one thing I've heard people say is that reformed, Reformed people are Christocentric, meaning we see mm-hmm. Christ 
in the Old Testament, and we see that right. Christ is the whole point of Scripture and redemptive history. And um, but I, I know that's part of being confessional. You would find that in the Westminster right. Confession, and and I would say covenant theology too. I mean, that is yeah. part of covenant theology. But I think that's I think that's a wonderful point because I think in the churches that you and I grew up in. Um, you know, initially, at least in the church that I grew up in, because it wasn't Calvinistic specifically until later, I didn't, you know, if I heard a sermon on David and Goliath, I, I was Goliath. I mean, I was David and I was, you know, going after the Goliaths in my life. Right. (laughs) Being David. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Well, I think, I think what I've seen more, um, I've seen churches that are Calvinistic and Christocentric, um, but the the covenant theology isn't there, but they would still call themselves um, Reformed. I think that's what I see more right. often. And when, when I was, you know, a pretty new believer, I was quickly became a Calvinist. I never used the term Calvinist because I was just told oh, you're reformed. Like that's what you are. And so that was my experience with the word reformed. I didn't actually fully know what it meant, but I just assumed, well, I hold to um, the doctrines of grace. um, And then that must mean I'm reformed because that's, that's the terminology everyone was using. And that was, that was maybe six years ago. So that's right in the time that the young restless and reform movement was still, was still going. Right. Right. And, and I think if you want to go literally, um, you know, Calvinistic is holding to the five points of Calvinism because you have people like John MacArthur, who is a dispensational. He describes himself that way. And so he's a dispensational and he does not hold to covenant theology. And, but he is still a Calvinist. He's still a Calvinist, but he's not reformed. He does not hold to reformed confession. He does not hold to um, covenant theology. But I, but I do also want to be respectful because I know that there are a lot of people that in their circles, reformed is used as synonymous with Calvinist. Right. And what we would say is Calvinism is a part of reformed theology, but it's not the whole picture. Um, so if you're only holding to Calvinism, but not the rest of confessional reformed theology, then you're a Calvinist. Historically, that's what, that's what it means. We're not, once again, we're not trying to like split hairs here, but historically that that's what it would have been. Right. And I even, I even turned to a couple of reformed Baptists when I was kind of studying up for this episode. And I think I listened to three of them and they were talking about what is reformed. And and they said, now a reformed Baptist is someone who holds to the London Baptist confession or one of, there actually are a couple other um, Baptist confessions and catechisms, but somebody who does hold to some sort of Baptist confession that is reformed, that is you know, Baptist covenant theology and some of the distinctives of confessional Reformed Baptist theology. 
And so even, I know that I've talked to people who have said, I, well, I think I'm Reformed Baptist because I'm a Calvinist who doesn't believe in baptizing babies. You know, so they say, so that must mean I'm um, a Reformed Baptist. And I think that, I think that's what's happened. I think that's how a lot of people are using it. Mentioned the young, restless and reform movement. And so for those who don't know what that is, there has been kind of a revival of Calvinism in American Christianity. And it has been influenced by some popular preachers like John Piper, Mark Driscoll. I know Mark Driscoll, you know, is off doing his own thing and under discipline now, but he was initially influential in this. Um, some of the people of the Gospel Coalition, Tim Keller was another one. And so you have, even among even among being young, restless, and reformed, you have some very different theologies among them because you have Piper who's not confessional, but he is a Calvinist. You had, I'm not sure what Driscoll was. I mean, he was a Calvinist, but not confessional. But then you have Tim Keller, who's a Presbyterian. Yeah. So he's definitely reformed, yeah. at least historically. And so there was this, so there was a, um, a guy wrote, Colin Hansen wrote an article for Christianity Today about the young, restless, and reformed movement. So that's kind of where the term came from. But it was kind of, and some people call it new Calvinism too, kind of a Calvinism that is not necessarily connected to reformed theology. In fact, in, I think it was two nine, um, Time Magazine, here are the young wrestling movements going on. In 2009, Time Magazine put the new Calvinism on a list of 10 ideas changing the world right now. I mean, wow. that's a pretty big movement yeah. when Time Magazine yeah. says, this is one of 10 things that's changing America, changing the world, not even America, changing the world right now. So it was a, I mean, it's a big movement. And, but I think that there's some things happening in the movement right now, Ashley. I think a lot of people like you and your husband who mm -hmm. started out really in the Young Restless and Reform movement are really kind of moving into, into historic reform theology. Yeah, and I think I think we could say that's a huge positive of that movement is people who had never heard the doctrines of grace before, had never heard about Tulip or these other Calvinistic um, ideas, all of a sudden were exposed to it and saw how clearly truthful it was in Scripture. And once they saw that, they continued to study and got to, I mean, I kind of got to where I am by accident. <laughs> I wasn't trying to. Or by um, God's sovereignty. <laughs> by God's sovereignty. There we go. All right. You're saying it better than me. So um, by God's sovereignty, I kind of, you know, kept shifting, shifting, shifting over to um, confessionally reformed theology. Um, but it, it was kind of because we were exposed to Calvinism um, and it became popular in a lot of evangelical circles to talk about um, these ideas, which it it's, they're not really um, nice. Like certainly they're truthful, but they're not something that's usually considered popular ideas. You know, when you talk about elections right. and limited atonement, those aren't ideas that people 
um, emotionally react very well to, you know, they have to come right. to see them in scripture. And so it is cool to see those ideas become more popularized and more people being exposed to it. So that is a positive of that movement. And I think that it, what it's done, um, not in all instances, but I have seen a lot of people, what it's done is encouraged people to really study scripture. It, it has encouraged people to continue on beyond just Calvinism. And have you run into other people like you and your husband who've had that same sort of path, you know, from evangel, you know, kind of typical evangelicalism, or I guess you guys more started in kind of Calvinistic Baptist circles yeah. to a confessional reformed church. Have you seen you know, have you seen a lot of that? Um, I wouldn't say I've seen a lot of it, but I, I've definitely seen a shift um, just in the group of people that I know. Or, um, I mean, a few have shifted over to Presbyterian. A couple have shifted to Reformed Baptists, like confessionally Reformed Baptists. Um, and some are still, you know, Calvinistic. Um, but I, I do see people wanting to study and learn more, you know, and try to understand right. what it is yeah. that um, people are talking about. Yeah, I have, I kind of have a, a, a neat little story regarding my husband. My husband attended Moody Bible Institute and he had a roommate um, that, and they just became very, very good friends. But both of them really, really were looking to scripture, really wanted to believe about God and about Christianity, what was in scripture. And they kind of separated and his friend went um, to the Middle East, was hoping to be a missionary, went to Middle East with his wife and stuff. So while his friend's gone, my husband ends up becoming reformed and his friend in this other country. And here they're close friends, didn't know that it was happening with both of them, ends up becoming reformed Baptist. So they came back and um, at that point we got married. We got married while they were gone. And here they had become reformed Baptist. Mm -hmm. And then we had, well, we were kind of, we're almost Presbyterians. (laughs) We're a Presbyterian church. Even, you know, it's funny because even when I was, when I was in a Presbyterian church and not even a Pado Baptist yet, I did not ever really consider myself Reformed Baptist. I think I knew I was going to be a Presbyterian. Hmm. Um, but I think that the the amazing thing is I, okay, so we believe that what is in the confessions is a true representation of God's word. And so really studying God's word, you can come to these same conclusions. You know, I became a Calvinist simply by studying the word of God. I didn't even know what the what Calvinism was, but I do think that many things within Reformed theology, I said, oh, that's exactly what I believed, but I didn't know how to articulate it or if there was certain things to go along with it. You know, another thing I did think of too that distinguishes Reformed is ecclesiology because I think that a lot of times Baptist churches tend to be autonomous where Reformed churches, you know, we have a Presbyterian form oh, right. of church government. 
Right. The yeah, the Presbyterian way of governing is is unique, really. I mean, to a lot of churches, and I would I, I mean, I was really unfamiliar with it when when we became Presbyterians. I didn't didn't really understand it, but the more I learned, I was like, oh, this makes sense. And you actually see it in a lot of governments. I know right. parts of the U.S. government were based off the Presbyterian form of governing their churches. And you're like, oh, wow, that's really interesting. <laughs> but that's not a lot of church, like you said, Baptists are just um, evangelical, non-denominational churches are just kind of their own church. Right. You they're they're all autonomous. In fact, the Evangelical Free Church, which you and I both came out of, they are autonomous um, as our Southern Baptists. That's why in the Evangelical Free Church, you can have you know, um, a Pado baptist EB-free, and, and you can have a Credo-Baptist EB-free. You can have a Calvinistic one or an Arminian one. Same with Southern Baptist. So they believe in church autonomy. They don't have the same hierarchy that we have. Um, right. Where, whereas we, maybe for people who don't know, we have, <clears throat> gosh, you actually probably know all the levels better than I do, but <laughs> I know we have, we have our local church, and then we have a Presbyterian. And the session. The session at the local the church. The session oversees the local church, which is the pastors. Which is the elders. Yeah, pastor and elders, yeah. And, and then the the session oversees the local church, but then the session is part of the Presbytery, which, like, I'm in the Southern California Presbytery for the OPC, right. which, ironically, we have, like, three churches from Arizona in the Southern California Presbytery just because uh, – well, yeah. There's not an yeah. Arizona one yet or something. I don't know. My our one of our elders was telling us that the other day. I thought it was funny. Um and then and, we're, and we're that's basically a, real quick, that's basically a district. I mean, that's essentially what right, the presbytery right. is. It's the churches, the pastors in that district and elders in that district. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. And then above the presbytery, is that the general assembly? Yes. Yeah, it's the general assembly. And then what's above the general assembly? I, I think that I don't think that there is anything there, right? above General, General Assembly. General yeah. Assembly is and, the national Right. And uh, the thing is what it does is um I mean I've seen I've seen the beautiful way that it kind of works out and it just I mean it's really it's really quite amazing. So for instance, let's say there was a church discipline situation in our church, and let's say that and, and this has happened. Let's say that there's a man named Bob who is charged with something and they decide, yes, he is guilty. He's excommunicated. He can actually go then to Presbytery and say, hey, I think I think my local church was wrong and I want you guys to look over the case. And Presbytery can look over the case and say, you know what, we, we agree with your church. And it can even go all the way to General Assembly. And they can look over and General Assembly could look at it and say, okay, you know what? We think, we think the Presbytery was wrong. We don't think that he is guilty of this. I mean, and okay, now let me tell you, if you have a small little case, it does not mean that Presbytery is going to take it on or General Assembly is going to take it on. But there are things that um, they do take on. And they also make decisions for the denomination. Your church can't say, you know what? We're not sure the Westminster Confession <laughs> is right on chapter 23 and we want to change two words. They can't do that. You know, mm-hmm. that has to be done at General Assembly. 
Right. And even even theological issues that might arise um, in yeah. in a local church. You know, you go to your session with it and then, you know, if the session can't decide, they can go to the presbytery and, you know, and then sometimes they end up all the way at General Assembly. And if you're listening to that and thinking that sounds familiar, it's because it's very similar to the way our court system is where, you know, it could a case could end up all the way at the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court decides on it. And that was it that the court system it, in some ways was borrowed from the Presbyterian form of government. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah. And, you know, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually give a real example of something that happened and how it was dealt with. And that was federal vision. Some oh, yeah. of you may be familiar um, with federal vision theology, which um, there were people, there were people in reformed denominations who were holding to federal vision there. I, I'm not going to get into the details of the cases, but this was, there was some cases that did go all the way to general assembly and even some decisions that were overturned. Um, but one thing that happened also is when federal vision was kind of new, um, people went to general assembly and said, Hey, we need to, we need to look this as a denomination and decide how we're going to respond to it. Mm-hmm. So Presbyterians love their committees too. <laughs> so they, so they, what they did is they put together a committee to study it. Um, so that would be, you know, generally several pastors who studied it and then came back later and presented their findings to um, general assembly. And if you're curious about what the OPC has to say about federal vision, I know because I'm part of the OPC, if I'm ever curious about an issue and what my denomination thinks about it, I will Google federal vision OPC. And there's right. there's tons of um, articles they've written on, you know, this is, this is our stance. This is what we've decided after much, you know, consideration. This is our stance on federal right. vision or, you know, a variety of other things that they've had to consider. Right. And I know, and- I know the, the PCA, they're going, when something happened in the PCA last year, what got to their general assembly was we need to talk about the role of women in church. And did you hear about that one? Oh, yeah. I know yeah, about that. That was kind of a big deal. So um, that's another example of something that it became an issue in lo- the local church. I think several local churches. And so it ended up at general assembly. Yeah. For the and there's a lot of people, there's a lot of people not happy about that. Um, yeah. I know one PCA pastor who has looked at going to the OPC over what's going on with that. And I think that some PCA pastors are like, didn't we already decide this? Did some, you know, did something change? I thought we talked about this years ago. Because if you look at the history of Presbyterianism, some of the splits that happened were over the place of women in the church. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah. some people are concerned about what's going on right now. And you know, the other thing too, if you are, um, what well, even if you aren't a Presbyterian, if you go to, you go to the Aquila Report, which is the Presbyterian kind of online news. They will even um, tell about different situations at Presbyterian General Assembly. In fact, I mean, I I usually when 
when general assembly for the PCA or the OPC is happening, you can kind of even follow along some of the things that are going on there in real time. Oh, even on Twitter, you know, they'll have like <laughs> right. hashtag PCAGA 2016, you know, so yeah. that's PCA general assembly 2016. So I'll <laughs> go and follow that. I, I find it fascinating. Yeah. So I, I enjoy that. I know. See, we just got into a whole thing about yeah, Presbyterianism, but that's. But okay. I think that's okay. <laughs> I, th I think that's. I think that's okay. Yeah, and if that, um, if that's unfamiliar um, to you, you haven't heard of that, you know, style of church government. Um, I would like to say it's it's a huge blessing, and it makes me. I have a lot of faith in my pastors and elders, and it's a blessing to me to know that if something were to come up in our church, uh, that they would really consider it. And if they couldn't, you know, come to a consensus that they, they get even more people involved at the presbytery level. And so there's a lot of, there's a lot of people overseeing your local church. And I would right. say another aspect of just being reformed is they have a really high view of the local church and they, yes. they see, they see the local church um, as a very important thing. Right. So I, yeah, that's, that's, that's a great. Yeah. I, and you know what, that actually brings up another point and that, you know, when I was looking at kind of reform distinctives, this didn't come up, but it, I'm reminded of it when I was kind of newly reformed and had just started listening to white horse Inn and reading Michael Horton. And I got my, my first edition of modern reformation magazine. And there was an article called how to find a church. And <laughs> within that article was the first time that I had heard of the marks of a true church. Now, this is not distinctly reformed because you can be a non-reformed and even an Arminian church and have, you know, marks of a true church, um, to some degree, but the, but the marks of a true church are the correct preaching of the word administration of the sacraments and church mm -hmm. discipline. And we don't see church discipline in so many churches today. Yeah. And that is something that, and let me say that probably scares some people, you yeah. know, Oh, does that mean they're, you know, I'm going to get in trouble for something, but all church discipline is, is following Matthew 18. You know, somebody's in sin and they're confronted and they're unrepentant, then you bring someone else along and you follow this framework. And it eventually, if the person remains unrepentant, it eventually goes to the church. And I have only seen it a handful of time in the almost 23 years that I've been in Presbyterian churches. And it is a long and very careful process. Mm -hmm. Somebody's not just automatically, you know, you're excommunicated now, you know, two weeks later. It is a long process. It yeah. sometimes it includes court cases, and um, I mean it, it's really it's really amazing, actually. So and I the the goal of the goal of church discipline is that if you well the the hope is that before someone is excommunicated, they will repent. Yes, um, but sometimes it does get all the way to excommunication, and the goal even of excommunication is that hopefully, by being excommunicated, that would cause them to repent. Yes. So it is grounded in we want this person to repent, not like we just want to get this person out of here. We don't like them or whatever, you know. Um, right. But it, it is it is sad, you know. But I'm sure mm -hmm. I I actually haven't seen any cases of I've only seen 
two cases of church discipline, um, uh, excommunication. I haven't seen an example of someone come back. Have you seen that? I, I think you've mentioned before that you've seen that. Um, I'm going to think, I don't know if I've seen somebody go, I have seen, I have seen a case that went, um, all the way to right before the person was going to be excommunicated and they finally repented. Awesome. So they, I mean, there had been multiple meetings and then the whole case, um, which got argued and all of that. And he did eventually, um, he did repent. It was amazing. Um, Unfortunately, I have seen a situation where someone was excommunicated. And so they just went and joined another denomination that didn't care. And, Mm. And that's one of the problems is that I know that if, if you come to, um, a Presbyterian church, they want to know what church you were a member at last, you know, are you, are you escaping church discipline, you know? Right. And, um, so that, that's, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. They don't just say, oh, you were, you're excommunicated over at the Lutheran church. Okay. You can join our church. You know, that's not, they, they don't do that. And most likely that means you're, you're not repentant. And that is a proclamation, I think, of, of seeing you as outside of the church. Right. I mean, that is serious. That's why it is such a long and careful process. There seems to be a lot of wisdom in the way that it is done. Mm -hmm. And it is done out of love and hope for repentance. That Mm -hmm. is the goal. It's not done, you know, out of spite or anything like that. It is done out of love for a brother and hope for repentance. So, well, we gotten a little bit different than what we were talking about, but back and maybe summarize what we've said. What is reformed? Yeah. So historically reformed is holding to um, a reformed confession. And I know I mentioned the two that we see around most often, which the two families of confession and catechisms, which are the Westminster standards, which include the Westminster confession, the Westminster shorter catechism and the Westminster larger catechism. And that those, we'd mentioned this last week, but um, for those who did not hear last week, those are held by Presbyterian churches. So the Westminster standards is what is held by Presbyterian churches like the PCA, which is a Presbyterian church in America, the OPC, which is the Orthodox Presbyterian church, um, that the, and there are others like the RPCNA, which is the Reformed mm-hmm. Presbyterian Church in North America. So the Westminster Standards is what's held um, by the by Presbyterians, but Presbyterians are Reformed. I was just going to say that three forms of unity is the Dutch Reformed Church. Yes, right, and that would be um, the United Reformed Church, which came off of the um, of the Christian Reformed Church. I think the Christian Reformed Church does officially still hold to the three forms of unity, mm-hmm. which is the Heidelberg Catechism, Canons of Dort, and Belgic Confession. And then the Baptist. Do you want to do the Baptist? So Reformed Baptists would hold to um, the London Baptist Confession. 
and they hold to a version of covenant theology that's that's different than the right. Presbyterian Baptist covenant theology. Yeah, and they do have. Um, there is a Baptist catechism that is very similar to the Heidelberg catechism. Mm-hmm. So that, but even though those are the main ones we hear about, they're actually since the time of the Reformation, there have been other confessions and catechisms that. Yeah. Um, that were considered reformed. These ones are just kind of the ones that have really stood the test of time. In fact, I don't want to neglect to mention even the 39 articles. There are some conservative reformed Episcopal Hmm. um, congregations that do hold to the 39 articles. Um, And and we were probably neglecting some. Yeah. We apologize. We forgot your, (laughs) your job. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, and then, and then Calvinistic, you know, we have Calvinistic, which is holding to the five points of Calvinism, mm-hmm. which is more Calvinistic, but we do know that a lot of people in the group were using reformed as synonymous with Calvinistic. You know, I, I going to link a video. I, I listened to a great video. I don't even, it didn't even say the pastor's name, but he was from Westside Reformed Church, um, it was a, a URC, and he was talking about one reason why it's important for us to have definitions. Hmm. And he said some people, you know, there are people who don't understand why some Reformed people get upset when other people call themselves Reformed. You know, when someone who's just a Calvinistic Baptist calls themselves Reformed, you know, why can't I call myself reformed. And he, he just, he had a really great way of explaining this. And he said, so if you're a Lutheran and I start calling myself a Lutheran because I like Luther and I believe in justification by faith alone, but I do not hold to the other distinctions of Lutheranism, you're going to be like, uh, yeah, you are not Lutheran. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's kind of that same sort of thing. So for someone like myself, when I have called myself reformed for almost 23 years, something very specific by it. And so it, it is very confusing for me when someone says, Oh yeah, I'm reformed, but they mean something very different than what historic or what it has historically meant to, to me when I use it. For some reason, the term, the term Calvinist is not a term people want to use. Right. Um, I think reformed sounds better. I, I don't know. I'm not actually sure what it is about Calvinists that people don't like. Um, I don't have a problem. Because they don't want it because it sounds like they follow a man. That's why. Oh, okay. Like yeah, that's true. Um, but I don't have a problem with saying I'm Calvin. I'm a Calvinist because I am. You know, I don't mm-hmm. I don't really see the issue. But, you know, I guess people take issue with the word Calvinist. And I, I guess in some circles, the word Calvinist comes with a lot of baggage. Um, people think, you know, what we mentioned on episode two about about right wrong assumptions about Calvinists. Um, but I, it is a, a more accurate term if you're hold to the doctrines of grace, but that's as far as um, you've gone into Reformed theology. It's it is more accurate, and I I do want to offer an encouragement if if you're someone who maybe fits into that category, um, I encourage you to look into um, the Confessions, look into uh, Covenant theology. 
Um, I think having an understanding of covenant theology and scripture is, is huge. Like that's, I mean, I probably am two years into, you know, my, my study of covenant theology, but it really kind of shapes how you, how you see scripture and, and helps you understand it better. Um, and if, so if you're not familiar with those things, I encourage you to, to look into them. Yeah, that's that's actually what we're all about right here at Theology Gals. We don't want you just turning us on and agreeing with us. Um, our goal here is to encourage each of you in the study of God's word, in the study of theology. And that's one reason why I put together the resource sheets. And I will have um, a resource sheet for this week. Just some different things that you can read or listen to just on, on this topic. But You know, I think I was thinking when you were talking, Ashley, that, you know, maybe it would be helpful for each of us to say, hey, this is this is the label that I claim. And this is what I mean when I claim that label, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. I mean, if you call yourself reformed on the new definition and that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you're part of young, restless and reformed, but but maybe just asking yourself when I say I'm reformed, what exactly am I saying? Am I saying I'm a Calvinist or am I saying more than that? Um, am I still reforming, you know? So I think that might be helpful if you're kind of saying, I'm not sure what to call myself. And like I said, I think labels can be really helpful. Yeah. Um, one day we will just all be Christians and, <laughs> and, and reformed. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but speak, Ashley had mentioned covenant theology. So I have a little announcement to make. I'm not 100% sure which episode, but we have a, a series that's coming up on mm-hmm. the theology series. And we've gotten questions like, what's the difference between dispensationalism and covenant theology? And what can you tell me about new covenant theology? And can you tell me about Lutheranism? And so we're going to do a whole series on, on those things, on dispensationalism, on new covenant theology, on Lutheranism, and on covenant mm-hmm. theology. And yeah. we already have some amazing guests lined up, and I'm so excited yep, um, about them. And we're hoping to add one more amazing guest to our lineup. But I think that will be helpful because I know, I know we've got a lot of listeners who are just new to theology that they they do agree with a lot of things within Reformed theology, but mm-hmm. you know they're still new to a lot of it and not quite sure you know, what certain things are. And so we're really trying to answer those questions that we get a lot of. Mm-hmm. And we know this is kind of like Theology 101 for some of you. <laughs> and, you know, we'll probably have episodes where, you know, some of you are going to be like, okay, I have no idea what you guys are talking about. So <laughs> there will be a little bit of everything. But we've got, we're just really excited because we've got some amazing guests that are going to be coming on our show. Um probably i think lord willing starting episode six so we're very very excited about that so ashley um you asked a question last week and i do have an answer so okay so i asked yeah i asked you what what's the best movie to watch when you are sad having a bad day sick you know one of the above yeah what is your i I know i know what it is i have I can't believe I I wasn't thinking about it last time, but there are two for me. Um, I like the, the pride and prejudice, the old, the old, no, I don't know if it's, it's not that much older, but it's the long one. That's like six hours. The the Colin Firth one. 
Yes. Yeah. It, that's yeah. Mm-hmm. And then Emma, and not not the one with not the Hollywood one. I think it's mm-hmm. A and E that does that one too. Yeah. Uh, now that is my very, very, very favorite movie. So if I want to feel good movie, that that's going to be it for me. So Ashley, how about you? Because I know you probably had one in mind when we when you asked last week. Yeah. So my favorite uh, movie to watch when I'm sick, I have probably like five, but my absolute favorite is the remake of Ocean's Eleven with George Clooney and Brad Pitt and Matt Damon. I don't know why. I like for what when, when I saw that movie in high school, it just I loved it. Um, I love movies that have like all these famous people in them. Like I love when they do that. Okay. And I I watched mm-hmm. it so many times in high school. I got like I got mono in high school, so I was like super. Thick. So I was watching that movie so many times that my mom and my sister were like, you need to stop watching this movie. <laughs> you know. Um, another one, which it's like, this isn't even like a super great movie, but I love watching it when I'm sick is The Island. It's a Michael Bay movie with Ewan McGregor. Uh, seen it. I'm trying to think. Scarlett Johansson's in it. Okay, I'm, I'm not even a Michael Bay fan. I don't like Michael Bay, but I, I love to, whenever I'm sick, I'm like, I want to watch The Island. You know, it's a good okay, I'm going to check that one out then. Yeah. Yeah. There, I was just thinking of another one when you were talking and it slipped my mind. But um, yeah, I, I look forward to hearing, to hearing what the girls um, will say is their favorites. Cause I'm always yeah. looking for ideas. Cause like I said, we just, we just are not, we're not big TV and movie watchers and, Right. I mean, you would be shocked at what movies I have not seen. <laughs> I, have not seen I have not seen the. I have not seen Lord of the Rings. Oh my um, god! Well, I saw the first one. I know it's so bad. Yeah. Oh boy. Um. I. Oh, I know what I was going to say. I love old movies. There is another one, Sabrina. I love that movie. That's another hmm. one of my favorites. The old black and white. I don't. Um, know. I haven't seen it in a long time, but I love that movie. I also like some musicals. So, yeah, there's so there's some some that I like. I'm just I have to go through and make myself a list. So I have one next time I need. Yeah. But, so a question that I'll ask it and you can answer it on the next episode. So okay. you have time to think about it is a simple question. What is your favorite novel? And it can be okay. classic or modern. Okay. Um, novel, though. But it has to be a novel. I mean, it's it's so. This is such an easy one. Oh, and if you are my friend now, okay. So we will find out. You guys can guess. You can guess what my favorite novel is. But if you, if you are my friend, now that doesn't mean Facebook friend. But if you've been my friend for any length of time, you will know the answer. So my best friends out there, you are not allowed to to answer. Um, you're banned answering because <laughs> yeah. you will know my best right. friends will know this. Um, yeah. So you need to guess Ashley's favorite novel and my yeah. favorite novel and, or we'll look forward to that. Cause I know she yeah. and I both enjoy reading. Yeah. We've got a lot of readers in our group. So. Yep. Big reader. Okay. 
Well, next week we have a great episode planned on assurance and, and then hopefully we'll be starting our theology series. Thanks for joining us. There is one last thing I wanted to mention, and that is um, if you go to the Bible Thumping Wingnut webpage, you can sign up for an account and they have they have it set up where you can actually be friends with people, but you can follow us on there. So anytime we post stuff, when a new podcast comes out, that sort of thing. You don't have to follow anyone else on there. I mean, you could follow us and let's say you like Slick Answers with Andrew Rapport. You could follow just us and them or whoever it is that you like. I just got my account all set up and you can even interact on there. So I'm still figuring it out, but I would encourage you guys to go on and, and sign up so you can kind of keep up with us and, and interact with some of the things that we post on there. Yeah. So thank you for joining us and we will see you next week. See you next week.